hear that, you know it means it's time for Alex Garrett Podcasting. And today, on the heels of this massive contract, nine years, $360 million for Aaron Judge, we can celebrate. But I want to put this in a historical context today because today's address, uh, 81 years ago today, sports and the world was impacted by this address by President FDR. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. United. And I, I, you know, you can actually watch the whole seven-minute address, but I want to play that cup because Lou Terminello, we see these guys, we see Xander Bogarts, we see Aaron Judge signing these huge contracts, but do you think they'd ever put themselves at risk at war for this country like the baseball players of yore after Pearl Harbor did? I mean, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Bear, these all, these guys all put their lives on the line, and now we're dealing with, oh man, he's upset because he didn't get this money. Things have changed, haven't they? Uh, Alex, good morning. Yes, things have changed uh, uh, totally. Uh, people really should look back at history, not only for our American history, for what it stands for outside of sports, but those baseball players, uh, the three of them that you that you mentioned, uh, Ted Williams, That's missed six one, and a half man. years of his career, not only in World War II, but uh, in the Korean War. Uh, Yogi Berra, uh, he was uh, part of the invasion of Normandy. And you can just go on and on and on. It was just hundreds. Bob Feller enlisted, enlisted what these guys did as not only great baseball players, but as patriots should not be forgotten in history, especially as you talked about the 81st anniversary of, of what happened uh, on Pearl Harbor Day, which is just uh, incredible that it ever happened. And I think it's pretty sickening that everybody's like, what's worse, Pearl Harbor or 9-11? Dude, we were attacked both times. I don't care about comparisons. Both of them should be honored. E- I mean, I'd, I, maybe you'll be offended if I say equally, but equally because we were attacked both times. We should, I, I agree. Um, it, it, it should be uh, definitely handled equally. Obviously, World War II had, had been around for two years. Uh, we knew that America eventually was going to get in a war. And... Uh, that December 7th, 1941, at early Sunday morning, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, America went into the war for four bloody years, and a lot of people lost their, their sons and their fathers and their aunts and their uncles, and uh, it's, it's something that should never be forgotten. But yesterday, on December 7th, how many people remembered? You did, I did. How many people really remembered what happened 81 years ago yesterday? I don't even want to tell you the, the mini joke I said. If the Yan- No, I'm not going to say it. But I Okay, fine, I'll say it. The Yankees avoided their own day of infamy. I know that sounds pretty bad, but they did. <laughs> losing Aaron Judge, you know, anytime, but on that day especially, I mean, just losing him would have been an epic fail. But you know what? As you know, I know the Steinbrenner family, Lou, and I'm just happy that Hal stepped up and did something for this team like he said he would. Like, 
I always want wins for the family since I still know them, right? So uh-huh. this is a win not only for the Yankees, but for the Steinbrenner family, who I hate to say it, if they did not give it back, would have been run out of town. Well, obviously, I think you're right. They would have been run out of town. And uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, Mr. Hal Steinbrenner, actually uh, closed the deal uh, from wherever he was vacationing in Italy. So that's uh, uh, <laughs> that's pretty good to uh, get the uh, uh, get the AL's MVP and uh, all-time home run record holder um, while you're vacationing uh, in one of the most beautiful countries in the <laughs> in the world. So he had a he had a good daily double yesterday. But um, Aaron Judge not only had the greatest walk year in history, I think he had the greatest negotiation in history. Um, The Giants, from what I can see from the outside, they offered him the 360. You cannot let him leave your camp without signing or... And if he took it back to the Yankees, which he did, because apparently the Yankees offered 320 over eight, still 40 million a year. And in uh, one phone call, Judge's team got an extra 40 million. Uh, the Giants should have come out right away saying, "Hey, we offered him 360. Uh, he walked away. That might have affected his negotiation with the Yankees." Uh, maybe maybe he doesn't get that extra that ninth year. I don't know, but um, obviously he wanted to. You know, the Padres come in. Well, then the Padres can come in at the eleventh hour and offer him four hundred million. Now, I think the Padres probably came in too late to be a factor. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think they came in too late. Uh, I mean, but Giant fans, uh, the San Francisco media. They're, I mean, they're going to think that the Giants were used by Judge, and the, you know the Judge team um, seems like they were uh, they were hoodwinked. Uh, but as I said from day one, when the smoke cleared, Judge was going to be be Yankee. And yeah, it's nine years, and uh, probably uh, at the end of the year, it could be like a, a, a an Albert Pujols thing with the Angels. I mean, the Angels really didn't get uh, what the Cardinals did when he played for them. Uh, that was a that contract was an albatross. But the difference is, last year, the yes ratings, which had been okay over the years, you gotta remember, the Yankees are never are never gonna be bad. They're always gonna be in a playoff race. So Yankee fans became a, uh, kind of ambivalent. Okay, we'll wait till the playoffs come around and that's what it is now with the Yankees. They gotta be successful postseason. Um, their yes ratings were okay. But last year with Judge going for that American League home run record. And home runs do mean something when it comes to bringing eyeballs to the uh, to the sets and to the stadium. I think uh, it was either 10 or 11 or 12 of the highest-rated yes games since, since 2011. So Judge's box office, uh, his jersey, the number one-selling jersey, passed Trout a, a year or two ago. Uh, he might be the best player in baseball now. Obviously, coming off of last year, he would be number one. Um, so the money that the Yankees are going to make over the next four or five years, they'll be able to absorb if he slides to when, he, in his, when he's 38 years old, 39 years old, 40 years old. And we don't know if that's going to happen. He might just continue to play at the high level. 
Uh, it's a risk that he had to take. The Yankees had to bring him back. Yeah. Because let's face it, even with Judge, <laughs> the Yankees, again, had postseason uh, uh, speed bumps last year when they ran into the Astros. And we know that Judge did not have a great postseason at all. So it's going to be interesting moving forward. The Yankees still have fill, uh, holes to fill, but they had to sign Judge. All right, so they don't get Xander. I think that's a win, though, that the, he's not on the Red Sox anymore. And that we talked offline. That's that's crazy. But you, let's get to the Yankees' holes they have to fill. I mean, now you're going to have Bader. You're going to have Judge in the outfield. I still say you're going to re-sign a Benintendi. It looks like Hicks is not coming back. Look. The, the job's not done. I mean, the Yanks still have to side some people here, and they might even get uh-huh. Carlos Rodon, which is an impressive feat if they can do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the big Rodon fan like everybody else is. I know a couple of years ago, the White Sox designated him for assignment, and nobody picked him up, and uh, he went right back into the White Sox rotation, and he had a very good year, which led him to uh, getting that free agent deal with the Giants, and now it's going to get them a bigger deal with somebody in the next day or two. I, I assume before uh, this week is out at the winter meetings or early next week, he'll be, he'll be scoffed up by somebody. Pitching is at a premium. Uh, look look uh, how desperate the Texas Rangers were for DeGrom, giving him a five-year deal for a guy who... Uh, pitched 11 starts in the last two years. And we all know when he's healthy, he's unhittable, he's untouchable, he's the best. But the, the Texas Rangers are going to need him for 30 starts next year. Huh. They were, they're going to, it's, they can't be like the Mets were this year where uh, as he was recovering from the injury, the Mets could push him back, push him back to the end of July um, because they had, they, were, they had a good team and they won 101 games. The Texas Rangers lost 94 games last year. Now, I think they're going to be better, and or Bruce Bochy would not have come out of retirement to manage them. It will be very interesting. The Mets made the right move in not giving uh, giving him the five years. Met deal of 120 over three was more than fair for a guy who you have to hold your breath every time he goes out there and hopefully doesn't pull an oblique, uh, have a little twinge in his elbow. And I, I love Jacob I, DeGrom, but the Mets made the right move. I laugh because I still think the Mets' help training staff didn't manage him well at all. But that's a story for another day. But uh-huh. you, got, you did add a pretty big arm, and it's a reunion of sorts, right? You got Justin Verlander back in the same rotation as Max Scherzer and both. You know, Scherzer, he might have had his health issues, but... For the long haul, he was damn good last year. He helped them get sure was. 101 wins. And I think you're going to see this team be competitive. And I think that's the most exciting part for me is that we finally have a winter meetings where both teams look set. Like, we're going to see some playoff baseball in New York for a while now, aren't we? Especially with I would say so. I mean, if the Mets don't make the playoffs next year, uh, it would be very disappointing. The thing is... The NL East, when you look at what the Phillies have done, and I know uh, that 11-year contract for Trey Turner, and I love Trey Turner. I think he's terrific. But that term is is going to be uh, uh, difficult to deal with, I think, as because he, he's 30 years old. Uh, but uh, Bryce Harper had to undergo Tommy John surgery on his elbow, so he's going to miss the uh, first part of the season. Uh, the Phillies are, are not going to get off to that horrible start like they did last year. The Braves are the Braves. Um, they have to uh, 
replace their closer when Canley Jansen went to the Red Sox. Uh, so we'll see. The Mets, I don't think, are done yet. I really don't want to lose Brandon Nimmo if I'm a Mets fan. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the major leagues. But uh, some team, I heard there's like eight or nine teams going after him. Toronto, the Giants. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Are things I see between the Mets and him right now, or is that just rumors? Pardon me? Are things I see between the two camps right now, the Mets and, the, and Nimmo, or is that just rumor mill? I, I mean, I haven't heard anything, but you got to remember, he now has a Scott Boros as his agent, and that always is dicey. You never know uh, how Boros, who obviously has made a lot of money for himself and for his clients, how he's going to angle certain things. I don't, I don't know if it's dicey. I would be surprised. But then again, I also heard that he wants to be close to the home because he's in Wyoming. That will he go to Colorado? Maybe he will. A lot of teams like him, but he's going to make more money than he than uh, than than you thought a guy of his caliber would make. Look, just look at what Taiwan Walker got from the Phillies. He got seventeen million dollars a year for four years. He's an average pitcher. Same thing with Jamison Tyone. I mean, he, he got $68 million. Uh, nice pitcher, both of them nice pitchers, but wow. How much is Bassett going to get? $25 million? Uh, No, but Bassett earned his keep last year. I'll tell you, he was yeah. a solid guy every five days out. And, you know, Buck used him more than just for 50 pitches. He was out there for 90-plus pitches a game, it seemed like. Uh, yeah, no, he he went into the eighth inning five or six times, which is like a complete game nowadays. <laughs> well, especially with Eddie so. Diaz there, you know, that kind of, that's a good bridge. All right, you guys did add someone else, which I really felt felt fell through the radar here, uh, Carlos Quintana. I, I've heard the name. He's a veteran. Uh, is he a good replacement for Walker? What was their idea behind that? Well, he's a lefty, and... Uh, he will uh, uh, be helpful. Again, he's not young. The Mets are getting older, not younger. He's 33. Uh, but uh, he will help. I don't think the Mets are finished with their rotation. Obviously, they have to uh, continue to fill in on not build bullpen. I, I saw they made a, a that trade for Brooks Raley yesterday. Again, he's 34 years old. He's a left-handed kind of specialist, even though there's really, with the three batter limit, there's really no such thing as a lefty specialist anymore. Uh, you're going to see a lot in the next little bit with the Mets doing some stuff. And I guess the Mets are really, really like uh, the uh, the Japanese right-hander, Cody Senga. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've never seen him pitch. So I don't know. You have to go with uh, their scouting report, and apparently the Mets do like him. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. I just don't want to lose Nimmo. And the other thing is, even with with if they if they resign Nimmo, one of the problems with the Mets had last year down the stretch, they needed another stick, mm-hmm. and they got to do something about the DH position, which was we thought going into last year was going to be terrific with the. Dominic Smith and J.D. Davis lefty-righty situation, they both bombed, and neither is neither is on the club anymore. Right. Right. So, uh, 
mean, you got to have Alonzo play first. He cannot be your everyday DH, right? I mean, yeah, I don't think he wants to be the everyday DH. And some guys do play better when they when they're in the field than just DH. I mean, you can have Alonzo uh, DH once a week, even twice a week, but uh, the Mets have to do something there. I have a feeling some trades might be coming up after the holidays. I don't. Uh, I haven't heard any hot rumors, but. They said that Mark Hanna could be a possibility of a uh, of a trade in a trade situation. Even Carrasco, who we know would be the Mets' number three or number four starter right now, uh, could be involved in the trade. But if he, if he if he was involved in the trade, I'm sure a pitcher would be in re, would be in return. We'll see. The Mets the Mets have to imp- need another right-handed stick. They might, you know, they're going to almost be facing their uh, old rotation with the Wheeler and. Oh, uh, and walking down there in Philly, it's going to be very... That's good. right. That, that, that's exactly. right. Now, yeah, Wheeler is the big thing. I mean, uh, where the Mets missed out on. If um, Stephen Cohen had bought the team a year earlier, Wheeler would still be a Met pitcher today. By the way, that was a mess. Okay. I remember that because it was like... Uh, bo- he was not happy with the Mets. The Mets were fumbling that. It was it was a kind of a messy situation, right? Well, the thing is, after the Phillies offered him the $18 million a year, I think it averaged over the life of the contract, $18 million, he actually went back to the Wilpons with that deal, and uh, they said, see ya. And uh, that was a mistake. Like I said, if Stephen Cohen was the uh, owner, Wheeler would still be on the Mets today. All right, so you say a big stick. Who would be a fit there? Like, who, who are you seeing that could be still assigned this year, this week? Yeah, I mean, out of the guys that they have, uh, they need a right-handed stick. But I could actually see them, and I don't know how he was recovered from his his uh, shoulder surgery. And again, he's not young, but he could be a lefty a lefty DH for them. Michael Brantley, who is just a professional hitter, he's a lifetime 300 hitter, yeah, right around there, 299, 300, would be a good fit, I think, uh, for for the Mets. At, as a lefty DH, um, I know they resigned Vogel back, but again, he. I think they could use a, a, an an upgrade at that position. Now, Francisco Alvarez. What are they going to do with him? Is he going to start the season in the major leagues, or are they going to wait till he gets past that point where the team controls that extra year uh, on his on his first contract? Um, but he could be the righty DH and sometimes catcher. So what they're going to do with, uh, with um, Eduardo Escobar, who they, who they still have for two more years. He did not have a good year last year. He did come on at the end, but Brett Beatty, oh, we all loved him. He hit the home run his first major league at bat. But is he ready to play in the major leagues? Uh, there was a lot of swings and misses. There was a lot of holes in his bat uh, after the uh, after the exaltation of him hitting a home run his first first major league at bat. We'll see. Is he going to make the team? I don't know. Uh, there's work. There's work to do there. The Mets need to need to find another stick. Well, by the way, another stick of, that's going to scare opposing pitchers. Speaking of another stick, I mean, where is Conforto now? Where is he going to go? Because I know he was rumored a lot this winter's meeting as being healthier and wanting to sign with the team. What have you heard on that? Um. I really feel sorry for the guy. Looking back, he should have taken the Mets qualifying offer of $18.1 million. Uh, so I don't know. That, of course, Scott Boras says that he's healthy, he's healthy, he's healthy. Uh, 
you know, I, I assume knowing him, he's probably working hard and uh, he would be an asset. Could he be the Mets lefty DH? I don't know. That that would be. I haven't, and I haven't heard anything. You, you haven't heard anything where, uh, about him signing this week. Is he going to have to sign a minor league contract? Mm-hmm. Has uh, his shoulder injury dropped that much? He's going to have to sign a minor league contract and try to make the team uh, make a team in training camp. Uh, that that could happen too. Oh, I yeah. loved Conforto. I thought he was a, a solid. A solid major league. People start wearing his jersey, man. A few years ago, I noticed. Well, the 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 right jerseys are sort of disappearing, and Comfortos is the jersey now. It seemed like for a while there. Now, let's talk about um, the fact that sports journalism took a dive because you know on Twitter it was like Dewey wins in the in in the John Heyman. It appears Aaron Judge is going to San Francisco. Why would you make that tweet if you say the word appears? Firstly, and, you know, I don't want to get into his head. What was he thinking? But, I mean, should he be getting the flack he got? Is this a, a lesson for up-and-coming sports journalists or even veteran journalists? What Twitter is just a, a, makes journalism a different animal, doesn't it? Well, you what you just said, it's a lesson for not only up-and-coming sports journalists, but it's also a lesson for guys like John Heyman, who's been in the business for 30 years. Every, we're, we're in an era, in my opinion, that they want to be the first to break news. And this happens whether it's cable news, they don't check their sources, They want, uh, Fox News wants to beat CNN, and CNN wants to beat MSNBC, and MSNBC wants to beat uh, Fox. And, and they say things without checking their sources. You want to be right. You want to be best. You don't want to be first if you're not right. And what John Heyman did for a guy who is as accomplished as he is, that is a big, big mistake. Um, that was That's a big mistake. I guess he was trying to beat the Ken Rosenthal's and the Buster Onlys of the world, and he got burned. And everybody's going to remember that. That's going to be a stain on, on him because it's not like uh, it was – a lower-level free agent. This was one of the all-time free agent situations ever in baseball. Aaron Judge. And he got it wrong. Yeah. He got it wrong. And uh, I know, I guess, he was the first overnight to break the Xavier Bogarts deal, and he was right on that. I think he was the one who broke the story like at 2, 3, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but you really point. have to be... And this is... A, and this is uh, a lesson for journalists, especially young ones who don't have the experience like John Heyman has. That makes it worse for John Heyman because he has that experience. But for young journalists, make sure you check your facts. If he was a young journalist, he might have lost his job or he would not or not progress in his career like he used to. But Heyman is a veteran journalist and he'll be able to shrug this off. Speaking of veterans, I was listening to the RWJ Barnabas help. Devils Radio Network, Devils Radio Network, right? They're not online. They're not on radio. They're actually just online. And Chico uh-huh. actually still doing games. That's very cool. Um, yes, he he retired uh, from MSG TV after doing TV forever. Um, I, and I guess he uh, retired for a couple of years and then wanted back in. And I don't know if he initiated or the Devils, uh, or the Devils asked him. 
but he's back. He's back uh, on the radio or on the live stream. And our good friend Mike Infantino works for Devil Games, and he sent me a picture of him in the booth, and I'm like, that's so cool because I remember him from the Doc Emmerich Chico era where they would stop and talk to Dad and I at the Continental Arenas. Uh, that was that was fun back in the day. Now, staying in hockey, the Devils still remain hot. Um, I think it's funny that the Blackhawks only beat the Rangers this past week. We were talking about that. I said, they're going to lose to the Blackhawks. Sure enough, they did. And then I really thought the Rangers were going to keep, uh, were going to tell Gallant, hey, you worked here before, right? Just stay in Vegas. We'll be all right. You know, like, but that didn't happen. I guess he's coming back home after beating the Vegas Knights last night. It, it, it really is strange. You would figure last night would have been a tough spot for the Rangers. Because even Monday night uh, against the Blues, they really didn't play that well. The Blues played terribly. Uh, Biddington was, had a terrible night in goal. Uh, his future in the NHL with the Blues is problematic right now. Uh, he went from an unknown superstar uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs when they, when they won their first Stanley Cup to really, he's really having problems stopping the puck. Uh, so, uh, but the rain, I was surprised at the Rangers. If I was a betting man last night, I, I would have bet against the Rangers. That was a tough spot for the Rangers. And the Rangers had a great third period and they won five to one. I know. And you know what? I look at who's scoring still and Panarin is and, you know, Zabend. I mean, they're, they're guys are, and I almost feel bad for Adam Fox because he's locked himself to a seven year deal with this team. And they have just, the second year under Galat, it's kind of been sputtering. So hopefully, things change um what does chris drury have to do because he's still their gm and obviously uh what does he have to do well you going into the season you would think that the roster was set they have a terrific goalie the guy who won the vezina trophy the guy who in my opinion should have been the mvp last year should have won the Hart trophy also um and uh they have scoring they have a, a lethal power play uh, I don't know if they're, and I know they've improved their toughness, but are they tough enough on a consistent basis? Can you count on them? Uh, Zabanajad is consistent. I am surprised that Panarin, who I think is a terrific player, has not had a good first third of the season. You got to figure there's a lot of goals in that stick moving forward. The disappointment is the young guys, the Capo Caco, who did score a goal last night, and Lafreniere. These are guys who were drafted one and two, and then they're not growing and not reaching their potential. Maybe they, they still could. They're still young, but they're behind where Jack Hughes and Nika Keisha are with the Devils. I don't know what the Rangers really have to do. They tried to get tougher, uh, but uh, with Reeves, they brought him in, and now they've gotten rid of him to create cap room. Are they in for Patrick Kane, who's going to be a free agent uh, at the end of, at the end of this year? Are the Islanders in for Patrick Kane? He's 33 years old. He's still playing at a high level. Uh, the Blackhawks are going through a major rebuild. But do the do Rangers really need another goal scorer? I, I mean, there's something missing there. The Rangers shouldn't be as inconsistent as they've been the first 25, 26 games of the year. Especially what we saw so last year. So I don't year. know what Chris Drury's going to do. Especially what we and, saw you know, you hear about, which I was shocked, that you heard about Gerard Gallant's future as coach. Mm. And, I mean, it's everywhere. 
whether it's uh, Emily Kaplan talking about it or people on the NHL Network talking about it or hockey guys in the athletic talking about it or in the hockey news, um, it seems to be real that he might be, uh, uh, he might be in jeopardy. I was stunned to see that because he did such a good job of bringing the Rangers' talent to the forefront last year. Let's face it, the Rangers were, were within a, uh, a game of, of going to the cup finals, and uh, they, were, they were cup-worthy. There was no doubt about it. No, you're right. And by the way, I think the other thing that's bothered me the most is the fact that they give up these games with just a minute left. It's like, you know, it's like, how do you give up the goal that, you know, they, as regulations ending for a minute, like, what is going on with that? I, I, it's well, hard the thing is, Shesterkin covered up a lot for the Rangers last year. And Shesterkin is, is uh, having another good year. But he's not having a stand on your head year like last year, um, where he just he could stop anything. The guy's a phenomenal goalie, he's a tremendous athlete, and he's just a tiny bit off. And he's and he's a tiny bit off. And the Rangers in front of him aren't uh, aren't helping him. Uh, you know, you talked about Adam Fox. Adam Fox is the best player on the team. He is, uh, and that's why I kind of feel bad that he's wrapped into this. Uh... For another few years, hopefully he can help ship change the ship. All right, I, I gotta get to, I gotta get to the gridiron because I have a question for you, Lou. Would you rather have a competitive December where, oh my God, the Jets almost do this or the Giants almost do this, but at least they're in it. We haven't seen it like this in a while, but we want to win. I mean, the Jets game was winnable, the Giants game was winnable, but I mean, is it a good foreshadow what happened Sunday? for the rest of the year for both teams, or are they going to be out of this thing, you know, by New Year's? What, what do you think? Well, we'll go to the Giants first. Uh, the, uh, I think, and I know there's a lot of different combinations, I think the tie probably helped the Redskins a little bit if they beat the Giants in two weeks on that, that Sunday night game. The Giants have to win that game. If the Giants lose that game, I think they might they might miss the playoffs altogether. But the, the, the Giants are competitive. Uh, the game Sunday, uh, you know, they had that 20-13 lead late in the game, and uh, they let Heineke drive down downfield. The Giants missed a couple of tackles on that, that tying touchdown, which is not good. Um I wish they would push the overtime back to 15 minutes. I don't like the 10 minutes. It just goes too fast. Uh, and you, have, you might have one possession. The, um, the Giants have no playmakers, and uh, that's, that's the problem. Uh, I, but they have some injuries. They're in a very tough spot this Sunday. I'm not saying that they can't, they can't pull off the upset against, against the Eagles, but the Eagles seem to be better then we all thought we're all waiting for that the other shoe to drop with the Eagles and that they're going to lose some games. Uh, they've been pretty consistent, and uh, this is a tough spot for the Giants. But the Giants obviously have, they'll be con- they'll be competitive right right, right through. Uh, uh, you said January first. I know the season ends January eighth. They should be they should be competitive right right throughout the rest of the, uh, the year. But can they do um, it? I mean, can they? Can- because I'd rather them win into the playoffs, not be competitive. I guess is my point where I come off on this one. Well, I, 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 uh, 
they'll be competitive. I don't know. I again, even if they make the playoffs, I just can't see them getting out of the, out of the first round. And I just can't because they would be playing in all likelihood. If Philadelphia falls, they'd be playing Philly again. Um, they would be playing Minnesota, uh, which I think is, I mean, which is beatable. But Minnesota scores a lot. Uh, or they would be, if Dallas rises up and beats Philly the next time they play them, they would be playing Dallas. And uh, Dallas, you never know what Dallas you're going to get. Uh, the Dallas that played wishy-washy for three straight quarters the other night or just went uh, berserk in the fourth quarter and scored the 31 points. Yes, uh, the Colts helped them out with all those turnovers, but um, we'll see. I don't know if the Giants going to win going in. Now, the one thing that last game of the season, the Eagles may not be playing anybody, uh, and that might help the Giants if they need if they need that game. Um, you know, they they just. It's, I I don't think the Giants' playbook has been opened up like they want to because they don't have the guys, the the skilled players there to open up the playbook. I think the coaching staff has done it. Has done a terrific job. Oh, I think Dable's going to be fine. I think that his role in this is that you know it's just tough to manage a guy, a crew that's injured. That's just the bottom line for him, I think, right now. Right, and I and the thing is about you know OBJ visit on the Giants. I want OBJ. They don't want OBJ. I mean, what for for uh, four or five games? He's going to be free agent anyway. The Giants aren't going to sell sign him to a multi year deal. And he's not healthy I mean, either. That's the thing that people are not. And, he, and right, and apparently, according to the Cowboys, he's not. They're worried about his medical. So, but, what so we'll see. but the Giants have done a good job. I mean, I don't think their roster is that that great. I really don't. Um, Jones and, you know, they, they, they've done you. they've done a fine job. I think Daniel Jones has done a, has done a fine job. I think the Giants will resign him. The big question moving forward is, and again, we you know Barkley this and Barkley that. Uh, do you really want you really want to sign? Barkley to a five-year or four-year deal and, uh, you know, just take so much room on your salary cap? Look look at what, look what the Jets have done. Zonovan White, undrafted. He was on a practice squad. Look what he did Sunday. Look what he did the week before. Uh, I mean, uh, James Robinson, who they, who they, who they got, uh, helped them in that win against Buffalo. He got a touchdown pass out of the backfield. Johnson has done a good job in his time here with the Jets. You can always get a running back. So that that's a that that to me that's the Giants' biggest issue. I'm sure they're uh, grinding, uh, gnashing their teeth. What are they going to do with uh, with Barkley as the season well, comes? He's having a better year than he's had. He's had a healthier year too. So we'll have to mm-hmm. see. I mean, Jones has scared me a little bit here in the last couple of weeks. I still think. Overall, though, his contract year is better than many thought he would have. I'll be—I'll put it that way. I think they'll resign him. I think the Giants are going to resign Jones, and I would—I would, unless something falls into their lap that they can't—that you know, quarterback. And I don't know where that's going to be, uh, but I, I would resign Jones. Now the Jets on Sunday. This is the, the Jets push the Vikings all over the field on Sunday. Now, that's the frustrating part in the second half. The worst stat coming out of the Jet game Sunday, Greg Zerline, a great field goal kicker, and he's had a great NFL career, 43 kicks 50 yards or more, kicked a 60-yarder on Sunday. But the worst stat was he was 5 for 5. You don't want to kick five field goals. Three of those five were uh, when the Jets were stopped in the red zone. 
if they got in one time, they would have won the game. Uh, so that that was frustrating. Uh, Mike White, I think, did a nice job again. He's got, I, and I don't want to hear this from Salah. We want to get Zach on the field. The only way they're going to get Zach on the field is the Jets are eliminated, or if Mike White gets hurt. Mike White has proven that he should be the quarterback at least until the Jets are eliminated. If they are eliminated, they got another tough, tough game this week. I mean, really tough. That's why losing in Minnesota, which was a tough game, hurts them so much. Um, it's going to be tough to beat the Bills twice in a year. It's going to be t- tough to beat the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday. So then they would have to beat Detroit at home, and Detroit's playing well. They are playing well, and they can score a lot of points. They scored 40 more on Sunday against Jacksonville. Then they play Jacksonville four nights later on the 22nd at home. they got to win both those games and try to find – uh, another win, either at Seattle, not going to be easy, or the last game of the season against the Dolphins, maybe the Dolphins won't need that game. I don't know. Just mm. got to try to get to 10 if they want to make the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to get there. Well, I'm not I'm not totally mad at Salem. I think he's done a better job his second year, I got to say. I think he's rallied the troops around. I think he's fired them up. I mean, look, it really took a drop pass in the end zone for them to lose that game. As it, as you say, and as Ian Eagle pointed out, every possession, Jets are stalled again. Like, he mentioned that over and over, and he made the same point you did. He's like, well, what, you know, they just need to push one of them in. But overall, I'm not upset at Sela. I think he's done a better job this year. No, Sela has done a, 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 a good job. You're 100% right. And early in the season... In my opinion, I was one. I wondered if the Jets had the right coordinators, offensively and defensively, and um, they do. Uh, they do. I, I saw that when Zach was benched and Mike White was put was put in. How uh, Le, Matt Lafleur um, opened up the playbook, which he wasn't been, couldn't do for Zach Wilson, and now that the Jets have some playmakers on defense, guys who can shut down uh, people. Even Justin Jefferson caught seven passes on on Sunday, 45 yards. I mean, here's a guy who's probably averaging over 100 yards per game. Uh, yes, he did catch a touchdown pass on J.D. Reed, but the Jets, the Jets didn't lose because Justin Jefferson went, went crazy. Um, just lost because they had to kick five field goals. <laughs> um so I think they, I think they've done a, a, a real good job. The Jets' problem is going to be the quarterback issue. The quarterback issue is, going to, is their problem going into the off season. Whether they make the playoffs or go nine and eight, which would be a tremendous season for them, even if they didn't make the playoffs, the biggest problem is going to be their quarterback situation. All right, Lou. Well, let's go to the college level real quick because there was some history over the weekend, which the CFP kind of overshadowed, but I kind of noticed it, and I said, Lou, let's talk about this real quick, and you mentioned Alex Canny, Uh, Uh but there's a new NCAA record for touchdown passes uh, thrown across um, the whole thing from D1 to D3, and it happened at the SU Rams of Division uh, uh, II, Ty's B. Agent, that's his Twitter, uh, passed Alex Canny for first all-time with his 158th career TD pass. I mean, it's kind of monumental that a guy threw 158 career passes and, and makes it the first, you know, his first for all levels. I didn't know that was a thing. I guess I, I 
Well, I agree with you. Let's face it. Uh, Athletes on any level of competition should be proud of any record, whether it's an individual game record, whether it's a career record, uh, whether it's a single season record. And um, uh, that that record should be celebrated. I I, I agree. It shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, Alex Tanning actually uh, was a backup quarterback for the Giants a couple of years back, and he was with a lot of NFL teams, a lot of NFL camps. And uh, right now, I think he's an assistant coach on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, when uh, uh, that that's interesting, I didn't realize that the record broke was Alex Tanney's record. Shepherd but yes, the record should the, the record should get recognition. I agree. Shepherd University Rams, by the way, that's the that's the team that um, right had it, and uh, they're not a bad. They they look like they go undefeated a lot in their their division too. Uh, Bajan, I guess the name, uh, did that in the PSAC championship. Pretty cool stuff. All right. Uh, let's talk about the fact that TCU's in this thing and, uh, you know, Saban, well, we should be there. And to me, he wasn't entirely wrong in the sense of TCU had this great year, but they also just had a huge loss. And I know it was only his first one. I mean, I could see where he was coming from a little bit, but was that Saban being Saban also? That was Saban being Saban. Saban has, Saban has uh, no hunt in this fight. They lost. They lost twice this year. They should have lost at least one more game. They should have. They could have lost uh, yeah. at Tex- against Texas A and M at home, but they definitely should have lost to Texas. Uh, he has no kick coming. T- uh, TCU uh, lost in overtime to the number tenth ranked team in the country in Kansas State. Um, he, they had to play an extra game. So Saban, Saban, this year Saban has no kick coming. And when they expand the playoffs in two years, two lost teams are going to get in. Maybe a three-loss team is going to get in. And I don't like the, I don't like the, the, the 12-team uh, uh, playoff. I have to see how it goes. I would have preferred eight. Uh, some people would say, well, they should be six with top two teams getting a bye. Um, but we'll see how that all shakes out. Yes, the Southeast Conference has a perception of being the toughest conference. And it probably is. I mean, you had, you had Tennessee. You had LSU, you have Georgia, you have Alabama, uh, even Ole Miss. Um, you know they're all they're all tough teams. But do, do, do they deserve to be in over TCU? Absolutely not. No way. The thing, my problem is Ohio State, which did not play a championship game like Georgia had to play, like Michigan had to play, like TCU had to play. By not playing, they gained an advantage because USC lost on Friday night to Utah. And you, the way you, you, USC played on Friday night um, and lost the championship game, they, did, they definitely did lose their spot. But Ohio State gained by not playing, by playing one less game. It's a little, I, I don't want to say I have a problem with it, but it just seems a little, I don't know, a little funky. Let's put it that way. I feel like we're going to have an okay corral when uh, the, the expansion happens. Next season, but oh yeah, we're, we'll we'll get to that eventually. I want to tell you, ask you about the World Cup. So we were talking on Saturday during this game, and first of all, Netherlands puts up two right away in the first half, which is very rare. You rarely get one nothing goals, one nothing leads after one sometimes in soccer. But to put up two, you started to feel that uh oh, what's happening here? And how many misses would you say the USA had? And you know, everybody's like, well, it was a great run. I'm like, no, they could have kept going in this tournament, couldn't they have? Yes. Um, 
I think the development of U.S. soccer has gone to a point where we shouldn't celebrate getting out of a group stage and then losing in a, in a quarterfinal or the round of 16. We got we to gotta go. We have to go. We're at a point where we have to go farther. To me, I don't know how much different we are than 20 years ago. That that Netherlands game was there to be won. Yes, and the U.S. had a lot of chances. There were 28 shots in the game. The U.S. had had 16 of them. Uh, they, but the thing is, the, the United States has to develop. There's no Harry Kane's on the United States. There's no Mbappe like France. Yes, five goals I think already uh, on the United States. Uh, they need to develop guys who could put the ball consistently into the back of the net. The, the two goals that cost the U.S. in the first half, and in the knockout stage, teams play a little bit more offensively because they try to avoid the uh, uh, the penalty kick because um, in the group stage, you're playing for positioning. So, okay, if we if we end up in a 0-0 tie, we still get a point. Uh, it's, it's just different strategy from a team level. But the United States has to develop strikers. They have to. And the two goals that they gave up in the first half had nothing to do with, with offense. Both both uh, Netherlands goals were scored by poor defensive marking by the United States team. And, you know, once once it got to two nothing, I said, okay, it's going to take a miracle. And uh, they did make it two to one, but then they gave a goal, and uh, you know, it's lights out. I'm going for Brazil now, simply well because they look great, and also because. Um, I, you know, for Pele, I think that, that if they win it for Pele this year, that would be very, very special, I think. Well, it would be. And as, as somebody who saw Pele play many times live, he's, he, he was a special, special talent. That's for sure. A great, 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 great player. Um, Brazil looked tremendous in that first half the other day. I think if they wanted to, they could have scored four goals in the second half, but they took their foot off the gas pedal. Uh, the England-France game Saturday is going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be—it could be a riveting game. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, now, you know, now now we're getting down to the heavyweights, and one heavyweight's going to be eliminated because England is playing France. Um, if the France is healthy, play, right? I think I, they're going to win it. Ronaldo's going to play, or is he bent? What is the deal with this situation? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess he didn't like uh, the way he was. He didn't want to come into a game, and he didn't like the way he was substituted, and so he didn't start the last game. He did got he did get in, he did score. Um, Meanwhile, Team USA I, kids are crying. I mean, there's a difference. What I'm trying to say is, these egos are everywhere. It is it, it's ridiculous. Well, the egos are the, the egos are everywhere, and apparently he reneged. I guess he was going to get paid by some Saudi team. Um, two hundred million dollars a year. And apparently, the deal fell through. I don't know uh, if on whose part, if it was on the Saudi Arabia team, uh, the club team, or uh, or Ronaldo who didn't like uh, the deal. But again, the guy's got so much money. Uh, he's thirty-seven years old. He still plays at a high level. Uh, he could still be a factor in this tournament, no question about that. And Portugal will be a factor going forward. So uh, they'll be they'll be interesting uh, uh, to follow down this, these last couple of weeks in the tournament, but 
Yeah, now all now it's a superstars. Now it's uh, Argentina trying to win it for Messi in his last uh, yeah. World Cup. It, yeah. It's Ronaldo. You have all those players that play in the Premier League playing for England. Uh, uh, and I, I like I like the English team. You got the defending. You got you got the defending champ France with who play such good offensive football. Um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens. I'm looking for I'm looking forward to these uh, the quarterfinal games and obviously on Tuesday and Wednesday the, the semifinals. All right, Lou. One last thing. We'll get to the Nets and Knicks eventually, but I'm I'm so locked in on what's happening this Sunday because. You and I have followed this hard work classic and it was a Garden State classic the last uh-huh. few years here. It is Rutgers. It is Seton Hall. Now, if you remember last year, they were both coming in having won against top seeds. You had, uh, you know, Seton Hall beat Michigan. You had, I think it was Purdue that uh, Rutgers knocked off the, the number one at the time uh, heading into that big turn, big game. Now, it's a little different. I feel like even though Rutgers upset Indiana, you know, who was 10th ranked. Even though that happened, I still think they're a different team than they were a year ago. So how do you look at this rematch? And any historical moment that you remember that or a favorite moment from this this rivalry here? Um, well, Seton Hall won four years in a row at, at, at the rack. And that's my favorite re- remembrance of, of the rivalry. Because, and I, as somebody who's been in Iraq for pro the Nets played there before the Meadowlands was built, and I've gone to a lot of college games there. The Rack is a very noisy place. It, it is truly a, a home court advantage for for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, Holloway, when he was a player, went in there and, and took over the game. So did Miles Powell. I remember I remember seeing all winning those games. And when you win in a, in a venue like that, uh, you always feel uh, 100% better uh, then even when you beat your rival at home, it's just different because you have you have everybody against you. Now this year, I I think the game comes at a bad time for Seton Hall. Uh, there there's they still have no co- cohesion on offense. Uh, they they ha- I think roles haven't been defined. Uh, Rutgers again, I mean they buried the tenth ranked team in the country on, on Saturday down the stretch. Uh, it was a tight game, and the last ten minutes, Rutgers took over. Uh, if I was a betting man on Sunday night, I think Rutgers is going to come out with uh, with the victory. Um, they still have some tough guys there. Caleb McConnell is back. He's a tough defender. Uh, you know, okay, he's still a key guard for them. Uh, yeah, no, it's going to be a tough game for Seton Hall because Seton, Seton Hall is they got a ways to go. And uh, with the Big East season beginning on the 17th against Providence, uh, and Providence seems to have made a a big jump, even with replacing basically their their starting uh, most of their starters. It's it's going to be it's going to be tough. Seton Hall is in a tough situation. Coach Holloway has a a long a long road to uh, go in a very short time. You know, UConn is the fifth-ranked team in the country in the Big East. Uh, it's you know, Villanova's having Villanova's having trouble uh, trans you know tr- transitioning uh, uh, from the Jay Wright years. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I know they won last night against Penn, but uh, <laughs> it's tough. 
and then I, I thought Seton Hall would be better quicker, and I was wrong. As we know, uh, Big East basketball is un unrelenting, so we'll have to see. It's unrelenting. It really is. What happens? I mean, one last thing to note. Uh, they played Lincoln PA last night. Their former athletic director, China June, was our college director at Queens College. And now she was featured on Sports Illustrated as a member of the Denver Broncos uh, diversity and equality. And whatever politically you think about that, um, it's quite a, a jump from the college level to pros. And I, I really do wish her well. And, uh, you know, that team's going through a tough time right now. So we'll have to see what happens. Well, yeah, and I, I wish her well. Now if she could play quarterback, that would help. <laughs> uh, I know, yeah. But just a little interesting note there. It's just funny when these games happen how you make these connections because it's a small world sport, isn't it? It, it? it really is a small world. And uh, uh, from Queens College to Lincoln, now to uh, being a, a Denver Bronco and driving uh, them uh, in different areas of the organization, that's that's quite a quite a good accomplishment for her and uh, wishes the best of luck. to Queens to Wyoming and now uh, into Denver. So uh, who knows, right? But we'll see. Maybe Nimmo will have a drink with her out there. Then maybe, maybe, maybe he could. Uh, uh, I, I, I still, sure. Real quick, I cannot believe the Broncos blew that game though, because you know they have Lamar Jackson out, and I know that um, mm-hmm. I know that his replacement will be in. But you know, what is up with Russ? Well, well, you know what? Let's save that for another episode because that's just an examination of itself. Because you have Geno Smith, who was a former Jet, excelling in Seattle. And you've got Russ, who's sort of sputtering. It's very strange to watch, actually. Yeah, that is that is uh, that is strange. It seems like uh, he's not the physical talent he once was uh, for the Broncos, and the Broncos now have him for five more years after this, and that's a contract that will choke them. Um, they, sh- I was surprised. Their defense is obviously playoff level. Surprised that a backup quarterback late in the game was able to lead uh the ravens against their defense that only touchdown that had to be very frustrating um look out next year i don't know uh sean payne's going to be back in the league i i'm sure of it i don't know if he's going to be back with denver that would be a possibility obviously he's going to he's going to look at all of the uh, the scenarios if mike mccarthy who uh if he fails down the stretch here and I think Dallas should actually be more dominant they, than, they, than they are. I said that in the past on, uh, on these shows. Uh, that, and if they fall in the first or second round, I think Dallas could go after Peyton. Uh, there, there might be, yeah, I, I would be shocked if Sean Payton's not back in the league uh, next year. I really would be. The Los Angeles Chargers could be another landing spot for Sean Payton. I know Brendan Staley was like the, you know, the uh, flavor of the month last year when he came in as coach of the Chargers. But the Chargers should be better than they are. And you don't want to waste the prime years of a great quarterback in Justin Herbert. In football, the window is probably the shortest of any in professional sports because of the injury factor, the wear and tear on bodies. Um, and, and Justin Herbert is, is one of those special guys. Herbert, Mahomes, uh, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. That's about it in that special category. No, I didn't. A couple of, I'll give you one other thing that this is that I think could happen. I, I'm not – this is just me talking. 
Um, Aaron Rodgers has two years left on his deal. Maybe he gets traded to San Francisco. Maybe. All right, Lou. That's what I would. I wouldn't be surprised because the only thing that can hold San Francisco back because they're loaded is their quarterback situation, and you know with Garoppolo's injury, mm-hmm. um, that you know that could be something uh, that they look at. Well, Lou, on that note, my friend, uh, wow, that's a cliffhanger. We'll have to see how that goes. So that's that's that for now. Uh, what a sports update here. Terminello take once again, Lou. We covered a lot of ground here. I know we get the, the yeah, we did. Nets, but I still say that's in the early stages of whatever. And by by January, really MLK Day, I had to say, you know, I, you know, I, by MLK Day, we kind of see where things start to shake out. I feel like in the NBA, so we'll revisit that down the road here for sure. Yeah, the NBA right now is uh, there's a lot of teams still trying to figure out what they're going to do. I just can't believe some of the teams that are playing so poorly. And that includes the champion Warriors. But like you said, we'll talk about that down the road after the holidays. Absolutely. But for now, I'm Alex Garrett with Lou Terminello, another Terminello take. And uh, very excited to have uh, another sports update just a little bit down the road uh, later this week with Gary Waters, the former Rutgers coach. And I don't know if you know him, uh, Lou, but if you do, I'll give him your regards. Well, I don't know him. I don't know. I I know he uh, was at Rutgers for a while. I don't know him. And, uh, that should be a good conversation that you're going to have with him. All right. Well, thank Lots you good for luck that, with that and so much more here on Alex Garrett Podcasting. This has been Terminello's Take on Alex Garrett Sports Spotlight.